0: Hello everybody and welcome to the first ever episode of the On and To podcast. It's an Idaho Golf Association production. My name is Taylor Little. Thank you so much for joining us. We decided to start a podcast to help bring a little bit of levity to the current situation. So whether you're stuck at home in your office or you're still having to go to the office, hopefully this will kind of help pass the time a little bit and make your day a little bit brighter, kind of take your mind off of what's going on and hopefully just make things seem a little more normal. Our first guest, if you've been at all familiar with Idaho golf in the last 10 years, will sound pretty familiar. She was a two-time Idaho Women's Stadium champ in 2009 and 2012. She was a four-year letter winner at the University of Nebraska, and she was a two-time state champion at her alma mater, which is Bishop Kelly High School. Her name is Maddie Shields, and I was so excited to sit down and talk to her. So hopefully you guys enjoy the conversation, and we'll uh, talk to you guys here in a little bit. Enjoy the podcast. I would be remiss if I didn't ask, uh, first and foremost, how are things going down in California? Are you guys making it uh, during this kind of weird time, or or what are you guys staying up to and staying busy with?
1: Yeah, um, fortunately, myself, my husband are safe and healthy, and um, with the college golf season on hold, I don't have a whole lot going on, but um, just doing the Probably the same things a lot of other people are doing stuck at home, you know, finding ways to exercise creatively and baking and cooking and watching shows and reading all that good stuff. So all good, though. No, no complaints, really, you know, just uh, happy to be healthy and safe
0: good what are we what are we baking what's on the list
1: well being that I'm in San Francisco now I got to try to make a some sourdough so working on that I've also worked through classics like chocolate chips uh chocolate chip cookies and banana bread uh yeah so trying trying to balance that out with some running
0: nice we like that okay cool well I guess uh There's probably no better place to start. When I was going through my notes here, I was trying to figure out a good starting point for you. But there's probably no better time or better place to start anyway uh, than the very beginning. Tell me about how you got into the game of golf. Who introduced you to the game? um, How how did you kind of come up in the game of golf?
1: Uh, so I was born and raised in Boise, Idaho, and um, the my dad is a lifelong golfer, so it was kind of his interest in the game that first got me into it. And um, he was a member at Hillcrest, and the legendary Mr. Bro was the head pro there at the time when I was young. And so my parents put my older sister and I in the junior golf stuff, just kind of as another thing to do during the summer. And, um, I took to it. Mr. Bro made the program so much fun, uh, which I know it still is there and which he's done so well for so many other kids at Banbury too. And across the Valley, but yeah, I just started playing like Friday mornings, uh, play nine holes or five holes or whatever on the back nine and did some clinics here and there. And, um, year by year, I just kind of started to like it more and more. So yeah, that was the start. Mr. Bro.
0: Cool. There you go. Well, a legend it, here in Idaho for those, uh, in the Valley that that know who Mr. Bro is, they definitely know exactly what the junior program is all about. Um, so fast forward just a little bit. You're a proud Bishop Kelly, uh, graduate. I was kind of going through my notes and I knew that, uh, I, I think I told you this right before we started recording. I knew that you were a pretty good junior, uh, <laughs> but you had quite the go of it, uh, in high school, you won state as a freshman, uh, in 2005. And then I was, I had to reread this stat four or five different times. Uh, (laughs) your junior year, your team won state by 115 strokes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that happened. It was, uh, we had so much fun. I had just some awesome teammates at Bishop Kelly. We were really lucky to all be there at the same time. And, um, I think everybody, all five players on the team wound up playing college golf somewhere. So it was pretty cool. We just had a blast. And uh, yeah.
0: Unbelievable. Well, before <laughs> we get into the extracurriculars <laughs> that took place in high school, can, tell me about what high school golf was like for you. Competition wise, what, what do you remember? What, what did you love? What did you not love? I mean, where, where were you kind of at going into high school golf?
1: Um, so I, as I said, I started when I was fairly young, or maybe I didn't mention that I was only about five, um, played more and more every year, but it wasn't until just after my freshman year of high school that I really decided to kind of hone in on just golf. So I'd been playing tennis and basketball and, um, I decided to, to just focus on golf so that I could go to every tournament that I wanted to go to and that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. Right after my freshman year at BK and um, yeah, I really enjoyed playing for the Bishop Kelly team. Uh, It was mostly nine hole matches, 18 holes every here and there. Uh, But really it was just, I had, like I said, I had so much fun on that team. Um, Beth Beachy and Alex Semenko, Katie Skinner, Sophie Sestero, Emily Bixby, um, just a really great group of girls. And so, um, and as many golfers know, it's so rare that you get to compete on a team uh in the individual sport. So uh, I really relish those times and having the chance to uh, you know, win at state was that always makes things fun too. So uh that's what I really loved about high school golf and and then in the summers, um I played at the Idaho Golf Association junior tour and um especially when I was young, um, those were kind of my first foray into truly competitive golf outside of just playing at my own course. And, uh, I loved like every Monday going to see a different golf course in the Valley. And, uh, sometimes I'd get out and play a practice round beforehand. And I, I still remember, uh, the first time I ever broke 40 was at Indian lakes in a practice <laughs> round <laughs> nice. before, I, yeah, before um, a junior tour event. And um, I remember when I was probably maybe about 10 or 11, um, my big goal for the year was to qualify for the Idaho junior state championship. And, you know, you wait for the rankings to come out at the very end of the summer. After all you've played all your tournaments and I got in and, uh, I was so excited and uh, got to go to Idaho Falls for the big state championship. And um, I came home and uh, my grandparents took me to the tournament and I came home and I was so excited. They, they'd taken me to see the temple and the falls and stuff. And uh, I told my parents, I loved it so much that I was going to move to Idaho Falls when I grew up. So, (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah. so uh, junior golf for sure was like just a lot of great memories. Um, yeah,
0: the extracurricular stuff kind of while you were in high school, but not directly related to high school. Uh, you won the big eye in 2007. You won the PGA Junior Series by eight in 2007, competed at Junior World in 2007. So that summer after your junior year, man, you really packed it in. And then and I can't imagine that that probably didn't have a huge effect on on colleges taking a look at you. Um T11 in North Carolina after you graduated and you came out number 29 in the polo golf rankings graduated top of your class I mean, I I would have to think that at some point there early on in your high school career college golf was the goal I mean, what what about junior golf? Do you think prepared you for that next step? And, And What was your short list of schools before we get to where you actually went to?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I um college golf was certainly a goal from early on. Uh, I, as I've mentioned, I really enjoyed playing on a team and, um, I knew I wanted to continue that and it's also just kind of the next step from junior golf. And it would just be, I know it'd be, uh, incredible to be able to earn a scholarship to go to college somewhere. So, but I, I was certainly a, a bit of a late bloomer in, on the national scene. Um, I think a lot of Idaho kids can probably relate to that when you're up against kids from California or Florida, Arizona, who have been who play year round, and when you've only been competing for five, six years, you know that extra five months of competition a year can really make a difference um, in the short term. So, I certainly wasn't on the national scene by any means, uh, freshman sophomore year, but then. Uh, that junior year is when I started to qualify for like the PGA Junior Championship, and um, i had been to the Big Eye a couple times, but hadn't performed very well. So yeah, that that certainly helped get me on some different schools' radars. And honestly, I was looking all over the place, and I I didn't make a decision until my senior year. But I was looking at everything from um, University of Idaho, Washington State. Uh, University of New Mexico, uh, University of San Francisco, ironically, Yale, and Nebraska. So, really, all across the board um, was, yeah, I, I uh, was looking everywhere.
0: <laughs> so, you graduate and you decide to take your talents to Lincoln, Nebraska to become a corn husker. And uh, I, I meant to, admittedly, meant to ask you this before we started recording. I know she's a legend. I do not know how to pronounce your head coach's last name.
1: <laughs> Robin Crawfel.
0: Okay, so you go play for a Nebraska <laughs> legend. She's alum. She was the head coach. What made you decide to go to Lincoln? I mean, what was the draw to Nebraska?
1: Yeah, um, I got that question a lot over the years, which always made me laugh because people from Idaho would say, why did you end up at Nebraska? And then I went to Nebraska and people would say, what's it like in Idaho? (laughs) 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 It's funny how how much both ways that went. Um, But, you know, I... The athletic department at Nebraska was truly incredible, and um, because of the football team's success, there is such a high level of support across the entire state, and especially in Lincoln, um, for the university and really all of their sports. So I loved that um, I was going to be at a place where I could go to huge football games and get all the support um, as a student athlete, you know, have fantastic facilities and, uh, playing great tournaments. And, um, I loved that Robin had been at the school for so many years. I knew that she would be there for many more. And, um, I appreciated, uh, being able to look forward to that consistency. Um, and I really liked the people there. It was, it just kind of felt right. Uh, a lot of just fantastic down to earth, hardworking people. And um, I also felt that I could make a difference on the team. I didn't wanna go somewhere where I'd be riding the bench for a couple years when I knew that I'd only have four to play. And um, that was the case at Nebraska.
0: Well, I'd say you uh, made a difference right away. Uh, You were the fourth person in school history to be a four-time letter winner and a four-time WGCA Scholastic All-American. You had eleven top tens, eighteen career top twenty fives. You were the this is my favorite stat from from all of your college career. <laughs> you were the first ever Big Ten golfer of the week at Nebraska. You won it again two weeks later. <laughs> uh, you have the ninth best scoring average in history. Uh, you know what? what was the biggest change when you got to college and, and how did you embrace that change and kind of make it something that kind of propelled you forward? Because it seemed like you didn't really mess a, miss a step once you got there.
1: Um, Well, first I have to say the easiest way to become the first uh big 10 player of the week from Nebraska, the key was to be in the first class that sure, <laughs> competed sure. in the big 10 instead of the big 12. Uh, so that kind of helped my case a little bit, but um, no, you know it's funny, as I said, I was a bit of a late bloomer on the national scene in junior golf and didn't really start standing out or having success until my junior senior year um in national events and and that was a bit of the same story at Nebraska where I was competing to make the lineup my freshman year, uh, but I wasn't a lock by any means. Uh, I just kind of you know I had a chance I was playing the five spot a lot and um but it was hard. I I was certainly up against, you know, players that were a lot more experienced and um settled. There's so much um uncertainty and change your freshman year of college, uh, you know, moving away from home and being in college classes and um playing, you know, a, a more elite level of golf, all that goes with it. So uh freshman year was definitely an adjustment, but by the I just stuck with it, you know. I um, just kept trying and kept working and, um, really winged on some favorite teammates, got, you know, became close with my team. I uh, learned a lot from my assistant coach, Mike Shuhart at the time. Uh, he was wonderful and helped me a ton with my golf swing. So I kind of just made changes and trusted that, you know, over time, over the next few years that things would get better. And, and sure enough, they kind of did, but, um, it was a matter of just sticking with it. I would, I, definitely important to note that, um, you know, those, that big 10 honor and the win and all that didn't come until my senior year.
0: Well, yeah. And then you pepper in a few, uh, Idaho State women's AMs in the summers there in 2009. And then right after you graduate in 2012, I mean, what were what were summers like to come back? I know for a lot of college kids, uh, quote unquote, normal college kids, summer is a time to go party and and have a little bit of a break from school. You came back and you kind of hit the grind. What was it like to come back from school and just get after it in the summer on the AM circuit?
1: Yeah, you know, I have always thought that the only way to get better at Golf is to play and to play in tournaments. That's where you have the most learning, and uh, you really make the difference. And also, I I can't just practice for months on end without kind of the carrot on the stick in front of me, getting into an event. So I was I and I'm just a golf nut. You know, I always loved it so much that the first thing I wanted to do when I got home was play in more tournaments. So um, I think that was another big key for me as I progressed throughout my four years, was that I really didn't take that time um to kind of, you know, rest on my laurels. It was it was about playing as many tournaments as I could. And I loved being able to play the Idaho Women's AM. And I qualified for a couple US AMs, which were just awesome experiences. And um yeah, I I loved that. And uh the there were two summers going into my junior year and Um, after my senior year, I also got a part-time job, uh, cleaning clubs, working the bag room at Crane Creek, which I think should be a rite of passage for any golfer. Um, so, you know, every golfer at some point in their life should learn how to work a picker and (laughs) set up a range. Um, so yeah, it was, I loved those summers and, uh, they were definitely a huge part in like why I did continue to progress, uh, throughout my college career.
0: You go to Nebraska, um, student athlete, you do the athletic thing. Uh, this is another one of my favorite things. Cause it's near and dear to my heart. You graduate with a bachelor's degree in philosophy. <laughs> I'm so curious what got you into philosophy. I think most people, uh, that haven't been around collegiate athletics for any extended period of time or haven't been an athlete themselves, um, think that the, the mail-it-in major is you're a com major or you're, you know, uh, one of those majors. What yeah. drew you to philosophy? What got you into it? And then what was, your, what was your favorite? This is a personal question on my part. What was your, what was your emphasis? What, did, what about philosophy uh, kind of got you?
1: Yeah, well, and I think it's important to note that you're coming from a fellow philosophy major.
0: Sure. Yeah. Am well, I right? Uh, minor, minor. minor. Uh, oh, I, I, minor. Am the, I am the throwaway comm major. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: I can you are using it at least.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm a few, few credits short. Well, my catalog's expired now, but I'm a few credits short of the philosophy major. So um, I, I'm just so curious because I was the only one um, that was coming from a dis- different discipline in all of my classes. So I'm curious how you, how you got to where you got.
1: Yeah, it's funny. There were, um, in my graduating class of 2012, there were only three of us philosophy majors. So um, I think what drew me to it was I've always uh, enjoyed reading and writing and critical thinking. And so I wanted something that was a little bit outside of the box. And I had no idea what I wanted to do after graduation. Um, It's not that I had my heart set by any means on turning professional. I just hadn't found anything that really sparked a passion, uh, anything close to golf, uh, the way that golf did for me. Um, And I enjoyed school. I just, yeah, I just hadn't found that one thing. But I really loved my philosophy classes. Um, I especially loved my logic course. And um, I loved that at a big public school like Nebraska, I was able to be in some class sizes that were really small. So that's kind of what drew me to it, and I was like, "Hey, why not?" <laughs> you know, uh, my minor ended up being in business, which I felt like was good to have that as well. Um, but yeah, and I would say I I, I didn't have a one focus uh, in school; like, I didn't have to write a dissertation or anything like that when I graduated. But um, at the time, and and more so now as I've continued to read, I say, my favorite philosophers are the Stoics. How about you? What's your favorite?
0: Uh, I got really into... um, Well, it's funny because I kind of went through a little bit of an evolution. I was very, very heavy into the pre-Socratics for a really long time. And then I took an ancient Greek class um, that mostly focused on Aristotle. And I got maybe too far into that. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of where I left off. I, I was about philosophy out when I got done with the Aristotle stuff. So it was, it was a blast. I think it's, um, I always tell people when they're, when they're going into college, if, if you can take any class as an elective, go take a philosophy class. And I think you'll be shocked at how fun it is. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think a lot of people write it off because you know, it's, uh, there is no right answer or, or whatever. And, and it's maybe not the academic challenge that a lot of people think it should be, but I think once you get into it, it's really fun. So, I agree. in 2012, you decide to put the philosophy uh, stuff on hold and pursue <laughs> professional golf. You go move to Arizona and kind of grind it down on the Symmetra Tour for a few years. And, and the first win comes in 2015 at the Firekeepers Casino Hotel Championship up in Michigan. What was the feeling when that win came? Was it relief? Was it a uh, I knew I knew that this was possible all the time. I mean, what, explain to me, kind of, you grind on what essentially is the equivalent of the the corn ferry tour to mm-hmm. the PGA tour for the LPGA. You grind and grind and grind, and then three years later, that first win comes. What what was the what was the feeling and 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 where did you go from there?
1: Oh, it was the absolute best feeling in the world. Um, that's one of my very favorite memories. And, um, I, I mean, maybe I could say I knew it was coming, but I don't know. It is so hard to win in professional golf at that level. Um, that I was just incredibly, incredibly relieved that it finally happened. Um, so proud that, you know, I'd finally done it and, um, uh, but the tough thing about the Symmetra Tour is that there's um ten money or ten uh players at the end of the year who graduate up to the LPGA, the top ten on the money list. And there's about twenty-three events. So uh getting the win did not guarantee my spot on the big tour. Um, so it was kind of like I won and then immediately got back to work (laughs) for the rest of the year. That win came about halfway through the season, but, um, yeah, it was so much fun (laughs) and it was my biggest check that, you know, I'd ever cashed to that point and, um, really exciting time.
0: Yeah. I can't even imagine, um, (laughs) I think one of the most fun things I think, I think it's still there. So you have to, you have to confirm this for us, whether or not it is, um, when you turned professional, you started a blog. I know I followed it religiously. Uh, <laughs> it was so fun to read. You're such a great writer. And I think that that's what always struck me about it is I always kind of found it a little bit unfair that you could be that good at golf and be a really good writer. <laughs>
1: Oh, there's that philosophy degree in action.
0: <laughs> I suppose. I, <laughs> so
1: maybe it did come I, in handy after all.
0: Yeah. What What was kind of the mindset behind starting the blog? And and I think that a lot of people would be really afraid to kind of put themselves out there and, and kind of hold themselves accountable in the public eye when they're going through something as tough as trying to make it as a professional. What was sort of the mindset in starting the blog? And, and what do you think? Was it therapeutic? Was it more cathartic uh, I you know what what was kind of the what was the blog all about
1: um you know so it started because I, I had put together a group of uh, financial supporters to back me as I went out on tour because um the cost of traveling and playing the tour and practicing in the off season is high and the uh, money is incredibly low. So I wanted to be able to communicate with those supporters, you know, wh- where their money was going, what I was up to, what it looked like, because not everybody's going to be going to .com or the Cactus .com and putting Refresh on the leaderboard every weekend. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of tournaments. So uh, it was a great way for me to just keep in touch with them. And at first it was just an email, and then I decided to put it as a blog because, um, there, I met so many other people along the way, whether they were host families or pro-am partners, um, old friends from Idaho or from Nebraska. So yeah, that's kind of how it started. And then I ended up getting a, you know, a nice response from it. So kind of kept it going. And I, th- so as it, it definitely started just as informative, but I would, absolutely say as you mentioned that it kind of became like cathartic and therapeutic to uh, sit down and organize all my thoughts in one place and looking back now I have to say too that um, I hope that every young golfer (laughs) if they're not publishing it that they're at least writing it down for themselves um, just as a record for their own memory because looking back now I am so glad to be able to go back to january of 2013 or august of 2014 and read in my own words what it felt like to miss three cuts in a row or finally get a win or you know have developed a training program that i'm trying to stick to and but not seeing the results or i am seeing the results or all those different things and all those ups and downs um it'd be easy just to remember a couple highlights or low lights, but it's been really cool to actually kind of see where my mind was at that time. So it is still alive. Um, I don't think it's getting very many hits these days and I haven't published anything, um, since I announced that I was retiring back in January of 2019. Um, but yeah, I, maybe I'll return to it again someday. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, I'm I'm certainly glad I did it. If nothing else, just to be able to show my kids someday, I suppose.
0: (laughs) Well, we'll get to the the retirement here in in just a second. I I have a question, I guess, that I wanted to ask for a long time that a lot of people, I think, when they graduate from college, uh, you can almost go back and quantify when you're 21, 22 years old. Like, I'm a markedly different person than I was when I got here at 18. You know, I I know that I've grown in this way and this way and this way. Did you feel the same way? about professional golf was it would you consider it like formative years part 2 did you grow a ton as a person um not just as a golfer but as a, as a person too
1: yeah definitely um you know your college is just a kind of the taste of independence and then graduating you really are independent and in my case I set out from there and you know moved to a whole new state uh found roommates and a way to support myself through, uh, sponsors and then just was practicing and traveling around the country. So I was playing, you know, 20 events a year in 12 States and there's so much to learn about yourself and who you are and you're meeting so many new people. And, um, yeah, very, very formative years. And again, looking back now through where I'm now retired and, uh, I am so grateful that I took the chance on myself um, and had the support of other people to help me take that chance and was able to do something that is pretty rare. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was uh, a really incredible time in your life to be able to travel like that and chase a dream um, that I'm so grateful I had.
0: You make it to the LPGA Tour, you play 13 events in 2017. Um, best finish was a T35, and then you play 11 more events in 2018. And correct me if I'm wrong, in, in 2016 and 2017, those were the close calls at Q School, correct?
1: Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, yeah. so for those that don't know, I'll give a little bit of a background, and, and feel free to jump in if I'm wrong here. But two, two years in a row, you fall a shot short of full-time status on the LPGA Tour. Yep. Um, was it was it a conditional status, or where were you on the priority ranking?
1: Yeah, so I fell a shot short of full status, meaning I would have gotten to play in twenty plus events um regardless of even if I missed every cut, you know, like my status would have been locked for the whole year, and so instead, I was in the partial status category where um, I was getting into about you know, five or six events. And then if I played well, then uh, I could reshuffle on that list and move my number up and then hopefully get into more events, which I earned a couple each year and yeah, I played in 13 and then 11.
0: Okay. Well, if you don't mind, I there's a, a Twitter post here right after the, the second uh, close call at Q school that I'm just going to read it. And I think people will understand that you're a really good writer after this too. Um, but I think it also speaks to your character and, and kind of how far you had come as a, as a golfer and as a person. On December 4th, you said, It's hard to process how I feel after the 90 holes of Q school. Hard not to be devastated that I missed a full year LPGA card by one shot for the second consecutive year, or to replay in my mind that one bad swing or those few putts or the terrible first nine holes, but life is hard. I have control over just one thing, and that is my perception of life's events. After two rounds when I was plus six and in 104th place, I broke down in tears, and then I dusted myself off and made the choice to believe I was there for a reason. I believed I was there because I fight the hardest, when backed into a corner, and I choose not to only not give up, but to believe fully in myself. I shot seven under the final three rounds, and ultimately, yes, one shot short of the main goal, but I still earned... Pretty good LPGA conditional status for 2018, similar to what I had last year. So it's time once again to dust myself off and choose what I want to believe. Aside from just the mental grind and the emotional drain, I mean, what was kind of the, the mentality, not only as a player, but as a person between when you tweeted that on December 4th to when the 2018 season started?
1: Yeah, it was... Um... It was tough, and I think the year prior, when I missed, when I got some LPGA status for the first time, it was uh, certainly disappointing to have you know been a shot short. But it was still incredibly exciting because I was you know going to be out there for the first time. I knew I'd finally get to start. And then that second year, I think that in between Q school and the season starting. I tried to put myself in the best mentality as possible, but I still had, I had expectations that time around. And um, rather than looking at at it as more time for more growth, I think I put a little bit too much pressure that, okay, now you've already been here, you better perform. And um, that's certainly a, I won't call it a regret, just a lesson learned because, you know, I wouldn't have learned it had I not gone through it. So yeah, I think that it was a, I, I put a little bit too much pressure on myself going into that, uh, 2018 season. And, um, I just wanted it to all happen right then, right at that moment. I think a lot of golfers know that that (laughs) that's not really the way the game works, right? It's like a lot of times you end up playing your best on the day you were sick or your first day back after a month off or, um, you know, when you least expect it, think the best things happen. So um, yeah, it was, a, I think it was just too much pressure.
0: Well, you decide at the end of the 2018 season to hang it up and you kind of jump into trying to find a career and trying to figure out what, what the next step is. What was that transition like? Uh, I mean, when you decided to to hang it up, what, what was the first thought in your mind and, and kind of what was the direction that you were headed at that point in time?
1: Yeah, it was a super tough decision and I took a long time to figure it out. I had always been incredibly focused on golf. You know, I just, as we talked about, I started when I was five and, you know, decided that tennis was too much when I was 12 or 14 or whatever. (laughs) So, um, it's, I think a lot of golfers, junior golfers, and when they get to college, um, all college athletes can relate at some level to your sport being a bit of your identity. And, um, I was certainly, you know, nervous I think to lose that and step away from that. But I knew that, um, I just kind of come to a breaking point where I wasn't, um, I, I felt stuck because of that pressure that I was putting on myself and I'd seen the cracks in my game Um, the gaps that existed between myself and the players on the LPGA who were actually able to make a living. And so, um, you know, the, as magical as the struggle was for the time on the Symmetra tour, you know, my first four years from age 22 to 26, I I didn't want to go through that as I turned 30. You know, I, it wasn't as romantic anymore. Um, so I didn't know what it was that I wanted to do next. I just knew that if I wasn't in golf 150% that I really didn't have a chance. It was kind of like taking a blind leap, but trusting that, you know, okay, I've got a college degree. I have learned a lot of life lessons that are applicable off the course, um, over the, the, these last six years and something's going to happen, you know, one door closes, another one opens. So, um, had a really positive, happy distraction at the time. My uh, then-boyfriend proposed uh, in December, just several weeks after, uh, the, or maybe a month after Q-Series, which was amazing. And uh, he ended up taking a new job that moved us from Phoenix to San Francisco. And so that kind of presented a whole new world of opportunities. In Phoenix, all I'd ever seen were golf courses and other golfers. And so it was exciting to come to a world where you know, who knew what I would find? So, yeah, that's kind of what the transition period was like. It was a whole lot of unknowns for sure.
0: Perfect. Well, you you filled in a gap there for me. I was going to say uh, at some point there, probably around retirement, you met your now husband, Steve, um, and I knew that you guys had moved from Arizona to San Francisco. You guys got married in June of 2019. Is that right? Yes. Okay, so you're nearing your 1-year anniversary and right around the same time that you guys got married, you came across a job at a certain university down there in the Bay Area. How did that come about and and what's it like been there with Ann on the farm?
1: Yeah, well, here we would go back to circling back to the blog. Um I posted that update my last blog post uh in January of 2019 kind of saying to the world, those who didn't already know that I was gonna step away and why and uh and ended up getting some traction on social media um which is just funny that like it took me in saying that i was quitting to get my most circulated post ever (laughs) But, but fortunately it did because um it happened to come across her feed and she saw that i was then living in the bay and reached out to some mutual friends to kind of see who i was and what i was about and we started the conversation from there. So um, we took, she, we yeah, kind of got to know each other slowly over the course of the spring quarter. And I went down to uh, meet the team and kind of see them play and um, get to know Anne. And I just could not have been more fortunate that um, to be in the right place at the right time. Really, you know. Uh, so yeah, I wound up starting the job um, in. Uh, July 1st of last summer, just a couple weeks after getting married and yeah, I've been on the farm ever since, which has just been fantastic.
0: What is it like, I I guess, for for people that are listening that don't know, uh, the Stanford women's program is one of the uh, top programs in the country year in, year out. Some of the best AMs go to Stanford year in, year out. What is it like being around those world-class players when they're that young I mean, they come with so much talent and so much uh, academic prowess. I don't know if anybody else knows this. Stanford is really hard to get into. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, what is it like being around them on a day-in, day-out basis? Uh, obviously not right now, but prior to the to our current situation, what was it like being around them all the time, and, and what have you learned from them?
1: Yeah, honestly, it is truly an honor to get to work with these kids. Um, they are as you mentioned, incredibly talented, incredibly bright, uh, very curious, very hardworking, and just uh, so motivated. And what's one of the special things about Stanford is that everybody in that community uh, is striving for excellence in their respective field. And um, so you're not just one of one the big fish in the small pond you are with all the other big fish and not once you get there though it's not a in a competitive environment it's very much an encouraging environment so people are trying to learn from one another and it's really cool to be surrounded by so many people who have such you know lofty goals and uh incredible intellect and drive so as a coach, it's an absolute dream because, you know, it's not like I'm trying to cajole somebody into getting their practice in or doing their homework. Um, they are totally on top of things all the time. And, uh, if anything, I'm encouraging them to, uh, take a breather every now and then. So it's, I feel so lucky to be able to just be around these, these students and, um, learn from them in all kinds of ways. Um, I, certainly enjoy watching their golf swings and I love seeing them compete and work together as a team and I absolutely love when we're not on the golf course or sometimes when we are for a distraction and sort of walking down the fairway to hear what they're learning in class and um how their coding is going and you know the computer science class that all the freshmen take or uh some psych study that they're being a part of or you know there's all kinds of cool stuff there so yeah it's really fun to be able to learn from them and watch them and honestly just be along for the ride
0: that's so cool well maddie you've been awesome i've got a few uh like lightning round questions for you oh, real here quick we go before I let you go so you ready yeah i'm ready all right favorite course in idaho
1: ah oh, boy that's actually really tough um <laughs> this is very slow lightning um it's hard to stray away from my home course at hillcrest just because it is home but i might yeah i i'm gonna go with hillcrest just because it's home
0: okay morning round or evening round morning music on the golf course or no music
1: no music i like i like the birds i like yeah
0: okay cart or walk walk favorite club you've ever owned
1: Oh, um, I had this Scotty Cameron back in high school. Uh, it was the black one with like the white domino looking dots on the back.
0: Oh, yeah. The terillium. Thank you. Yeah.
1: I, yeah. <laughs> the terillium. Okay. I love that thing. I don't, I've never played a blade since, but I just absolutely love the look of that thing.
0: Okay. Uh, Last one. What's been uh, you and your husband's go-to show to binge during the quarantine?
1: Mm. Uh, Well, honestly, it was tough to beat Tiger King. I mean, that had everything you could possibly (laughs) want. (laughs) And then to come down from that on the lighter side, we've been watching Modern Love, which is sweet.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. I I lied. This is the last one because uh, when we talked the other day, you mentioned that you were going through some classes. What are you reading right now and and if you had to recommend a book to anyone what book would it be
1: i just finished a great fiction book called born to run or excuse me uh called cutting for stone um that ann walker that my boss recommended and absolutely loved that but especially right now when it seems like the only one of the only exercises left we have is running, I would highly recommend the book Born to Run by Christopher McDougall. It's been out for probably 10 or 15 years, but it'll get you inspired to lace up your tennis
0: shoes. Okay, awesome. Well, Maddie, you were great. Thank you so much for joining me. And we really appreciate you being on the inaugural IGA podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Taylor.
0: All right. Thanks, Maddie.
1: All right. Bye-bye.
0: Well, there you have it. Our very first interview on the On & Two podcast with Maddie Shields. Maddie, thank you again so much for your time and coming on. We really, really appreciate it. The hope is that we'll do these fairly regularly. So if you have somebody you know you want to hear from, let us know. Reach out on social media. We're at IdahoGA.com. On every single platform so Twitter Facebook Instagram let us know who you'd be interested in hearing from and we'll try to drop a line to that person and get them on we want to hear your feedback too. what do you think do you like it do you not like it we're just really interested in trying to reach out to you guys and and help bring you some golf content to help fill the void that all of us are kind of experiencing right now so let us know what you think we'll try to get these podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We're trying to get it there. We are working on it, so please bear with us. And once again, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on the On & Two podcast, an Idaho Golf Association production.